an AppleVis original. Hello and welcome to AppleVis Extra. My name is Thomas Donva, also known as Anonymous. Here in the Extra, we like to put the spotlight on certain developers I'd like to bring on. And this developer is very special indeed because he is behind the brand new AppleVis Golden Apples Award Best Game of the Year of 2023. So here is Zach Tidwell behind of Dark Horse LLC, which makes the game called Santagrams. Hey, Zach, how are you doing, buddy? I'm really good, Thomas. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. First of all, congratulations. I mean, I was just ecstatic when I saw that Sanagrams won. I was like, oh my gosh, Sanagram won of the year. Where were you or did you even know we were running this award? I, so I did and I tried reaching out to other blind veterans to be like, hey, if you've played my game and you like it, please go make an account on Apple News and vote for it. But I actually found out from... The so I I was up in Crested Butte, Colorado on a ski trip, and I found out that I had tied with the Time Press team from their lead developer, Justin. He reached out to me and told me, like, hey man, I just saw that we tied and wanted to congratulate you. And so I was that was a pleasant surprise just to wake up to one morning from him. And it's been really neat. You know, him and I have been in communication a little bit just back and forth since xanagrams has come out and so it's cool to kind of serendipitous to have tied with him it was neat yeah that was very unique that's something that never has occurred with us and it was exactly a tie i was like oh my gosh you were up against a huge game called time crest as well and that's not a small um, it's been around for years, and so I was just so glad that you won in particular because there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this podcast that may have never heard of Zach and everything to know about you. Now, I've, I have personally heard you from other podcasts, so I've heard your story, and I was like telling myself, I got to meet Zach. Zach sounds amazing, and I think he's very uplifting and such a positive guy. But it has hasn't always been that case. So let's talk about that first, so people get to know you a little bit better, Zach. Now, Zach, you have you've been blind for what two years? No, I'm coming up on. So it's been two years since I started teaching myself how to code, but uh, I've been blind for about four and a half years. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But. It is recent, and so it's coming new and fresh to you. And tell us a story about that and what you did before you did programming and how it came about that you were blind. Yeah, so this is a bit of a long one, but I am 28 years old now. I was 23 when I lost my sight, but I had gone into the Marine Corps right after high school. So in 2014, when I was 18 years old, I enlisted and I served as a machine gunner for four years. So I was in an infantry unit in a combined anti-armor team. It's all machine gunners and anti-tank missilemen. And that's what I did for four years. So I didn't see combat, but I did deploy twice 
my first deployment was six months long and the second one was seven months long. I had married my high school sweetheart in between my first and second deployments. And on my second deployment, I found out that she was having an affair with another man. I actually, I found out from that guy's wife. I just woke up one morning and had a message from this lady that I'd never heard of. And that is how I found out. Uh, that was right at the tail end of that deployment. And so how we, you know, we had access to the internet and stuff because we were just, it was like the last month of the deployment. We were in the process of turning it over gear and weapons to the next unit that was coming in to replace us. But so went back this, this was all happening in September or October of 2017. I came back from the deployment in November, tried to make things work with my now ex-wife and they didn't. And then Shortly after I filed for divorce, I was in a really bad motorcycle accident out at a motocross racetrack that I used to ride at in Southern California. And I had a really severe head injury and really started to struggle after that. And obviously was not in a great spot before all of that, before the motorcycle accident happened, but I was dealing with it and I was staying really busy and that was helping but I became very agitated, started having trouble sleeping, um, very impulsive, and eventually started taking to alcohol to deal with what was going on between my ears instead of actually talking to people about it. So this is March of 2018. I got out in August of 2018 and started going to school for nursing because I wanted to be an ER nurse and after my first semester of school, so I'd, I'd gotten my certified nursing aid cert and then was working at a local hospital on a cardiac stroke slash ICU floor and going to school full-time as well. And by the time that March of 2019 rolled around, I, again, I'd been struggling this whole time, same kind of stuff, uh, had become very apathetic to the point where, you know, I would drive all the way up two hours to, to the mountains to go snowboard, get there and just turn back around because I didn't want to be there. I was trying to force myself to get out of the house and just, it was the same thing with motocross. Uh, I was pretty much the only thing I was still doing consistently was schoolwork and lifting weights. Everything else was just kind of pulling teeth and a lot of the time didn't happen. You know, I would make the emotions to go do it and not do it. And March of 2019 rolled around. I decided that I didn't want to be here anymore. And this was about four days before I actually shot myself in the head is when I had decided. And nobody knew I was struggling like I was. I My parents were actually at my house with my little sisters the day before I shot myself and thought I seemed a little grumpy, but that was about it. And then on March 31st, 2019, I shot myself between the eyes with my concealed carry firearm. So I am completely blind and deaf in one ear and no sense of smell. And then a lot of nerve damage in my face. That's just, I can't feel anything, but everything still moves like it should. And so that was four and a half years ago and some change at the time I was, I had a two bedroom apartment with a buddy that I'd gone to high school with and 
he his room and bathroom was on one side of the apartment and the common area with the kitchen and living room was in between and then on the other side was my room and bathroom and stuff so <clears throat> he had actually gotten home early from work i was in my room with the door closed and making a video to my family instead of writing a note he got home early from work and i went out and talked to him again like everything was normal and after he finished cooking dinner he went back to his room and he told me that a couple minutes later, he thought he heard a pot fall in the kitchen. So he came out and there was no pot or anything on the ground or out of place. So he went and knocked on my door and I didn't answer. And when he opened it, I was slumped on my bed with a hole in my forehead and my gun next to me. So he called 911 and I, again, don't remember any of this, but have been told all of this i guess i was awake while he was or woke up while he was on the phone with 911 and so i was talking to him that entire time and got to the point where i was combative in the ambulance so when i got to the hospital they ended up putting me out and intubating me and all that good stuff and after that things are kind of foggy for a while because when they brought me uh, back and it took me off of life support and everything i i was so out of it i think from a combination of the head injury and the medications that i had been on um but it, it took a while for obviously i woke up from a suicide attempt completely blind like that's a worse spot than i was in beforehand which is kind of crazy but i i was so busy with rehab and stuff and just basic stuff like learning how to walk again and feed myself or brush my teeth and on top of occupational therapy and normal therapy and then different medical stuff that I had going on that I was honestly it's like I had too much going on to really begin to process that I was blind and so I ended up being in the hospital for about two months and I had facial reconstruction surgery so all of my the bridge of my nose, the middle of my forehead, like the middle of the lower part of my forehead, my sinuses and my entire, or entire right orbital area are all just a titanium structure that they put into my noggin. And that's then I was on my way. And I went and lived to, with my parents after that for about a month and then I went to blind rehab at one of the the VA hospitals in Illinois for two and a half months and so I got introduced to screen reading software and the cane and cooking and braille and all that good stuff and then so this is all still 2019 I came home in about September of 2019 and again lived with my parents for a little bit I actually went back or got back into college starting in that spring semester of 2020 did online school while I practiced getting better with jaws and all that that stuff and moved out moved out of my parents house that summer to move up onto my college campus to try living alone and then ended up buying my first house at the end of that year and I I throughout this entire journey, especially as I got better with accessibility software and JAWS, 
digital accessibility issues were kind of a, a big friction point for me for whatever reason, even now they still, I would say even more so now because I know how to fix them are probably the most frustrating thing to me about being blind because I can be as independent as I want. But if developers aren't making their software accessible, then that's preventing my independence, you know, in whatever aspect that is. But so I was in college for clinical psychology and got to a statistics class and literally everything about the, the class was inaccessible. So the school assigned someone to be my eyeballs for everything. And I got really frustrated with it and actually ended up, I was struggling with depression pretty badly again at that point and ended up self-admitting to the VA hospital because I was suicidal again. And when I came home, I started researching why some software is accessible and some is not. Like, oh, if I'm using the same screen reader, why does X website work and Y website doesn't or application or whatever. And when I found out that it all came down to the code running in the background, I decided to drop out of college and I started teaching myself how to code. And that was in October of 2021. And now we're here. <laughs> so now I have a company and obviously Xanagrams is doing well. I'm working on future projects and that was kind of the, what, what started everything, what got the ball rolling was me running into my own accessibility issues and I wanted to, to be part of the difference. So I set out to create apps that look and function normally for people without it, any disabilities, but are also accessible for people with visual impairments and you can even navigate xanagrams using voice control if you have mobility impairments and it works with refreshable braille displays and i've really taken painstaking time to make it accessible for everyone and also to be able to be playable by those without disabilities because that's not very common in this area and so I'm hoping that over time as I release more apps and continue to share my story, both in terms of the mental health side of things and what I've done since that the general public will become more aware of digital accessibility and stop accepting inaccessible software as, as being okay. And I think a lot of the reason that the, the public isn't, there is no public bash, backlash about that stuff is because people don't know. And so in a perfect world, that would be where this goes in the future. And so that I can start to bring other people onto my team and lead the way in inclusive design moving forward. Because in my eyes, I, I think purposefully or intentionally or knowingly releasing inaccessible software is akin to the physical barrier presented to a wheelchair user who, you know, at a place where they've refused to put in a wheelchair ramp. It's no different. We're, we're being blocked out of so much information and opportunity and it's all a limiting and already pretty limited population that, especially as we move into a more and more digital world that that's, Hmm. That's what I'm hoping to do with Dark Horse. That's awesome. You know, I will say 
that is a gut-wrenching story. Um, you know, it's, it's so heavy on my heart when I first heard about this, and I, I, I thought about you so much and the troublesome history that you've had, but also at the same time that you did end up getting some help and you did get some turning some negatives into positive. And that's the beautiful part about the story itself is the turnaround and what you've done and what you achieve and where you are now. Now, you mentioned that coding, that is something I have delved into before. Um, a lot of people probably didn't know the mouse used to be a computer programmer. Yep. I used to be a programmer back in the 90s. Um, a lot of different type of languages I dipped in and, you know, it kind of just died away because I didn't think there's something I could do anymore. And so, so I... Pre-vision loss? What's that? And so that all was pre-vision loss? Sorry, Zach. Hang on. Okay, what was that again? Sorry. I was asking if that... So that was all pre-vision loss for you? Yes. So that was pre-vision time. And then after I lost my vision, I delved into something that was easier. So I did networking administration. So there was a lot of command line and different variety of different ways we could do things and it was simpler but i will tell you i do miss programming very much so much that i just had a recent talk with my wife i said boy i really would want to go back into programming at some point i miss it but that's another story another day we are here to talk about you so tell me so you went to learn about coding so you went to I think it's Pine, right? Out in Illinois? Or... Yeah, but that is that is not where I learned about coding. That is just where I learned basic blind guy skills. Okay. So is that something you self-taught yourself, as you mentioned? Yeah, I literally have learned from reading articles online. Oh, wow. Um, I've, um, I've Some of, in terms of doing this with voiceover, because this is to... To kind of take a, a high level picture at things, to create an app that is accessible as Xanagrams, you have to do native development. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of cross-platform tools out there where you can write code in one language, but then deploy to both Android and iOS. But all of the ones that I've looked at are either inaccessible for me as a developer or create inaccessible user interfaces. So. I don't write go ahead. I am curious, why did you choose wanting to develop mobile than say a particular platform? I I feel like especially as phones become more and more powerful, this is the the best place whereas as a sole as a lone developer, this is the the best space for me to be in because more people first of all i think it's an easier user experience trying to use a phone than using a computer especially i know at least a lot of the other blind veterans that i've met aren't very great at using their computers with screen reading software 
And I think the the phone's a little more approachable. And it's also a good place to start because I can scale up over time with backend services, like setting up servers and stuff, as opposed to if you have a solely online app, then again, you kind of end up with lackluster accessibility control when it comes to the actual interfaces. And I just, I felt like this at the most granular level was where I could have the most impact as before I'm, I get to the point where I can build my team to include other people. So did you, are you currently use a Mac, I'm guessing, to do this development? Yeah. And so that was actually another step in this process. Um, I was only taught how to use JAWS when I went to Blind Rehab. And so I actually used JAWS to teach myself voiceover by reading the Apple Viz articles on using a Mac with voiceover. So I, I taught myself how to use voiceover using JAWS and then started uh, delving into the different developer tools that I could use and tracking down documentation on the Swift programming language. And there actually, there weren't any guides really on using Xcode. There was an outdated one on Apple Viz. And so I've written, I've kind of summarized the, the tools that I've used and that are accessible on my, my, on the Dark Horse Game Studios website so that I can I can send you those links when we're done here so that we can, if other people are curious, they can just follow the path and without having to do all the research up front. Oh, no problem. I think that would be great. I think a lot of people would love to have that link and resources at their hand. And so Swift was something you went forward with. And so I got to ask, was that... Was there a steep learning curve or was that something difficult for you because you were never really into the coding world, right? So you were never like into that before. Correct. I had literally never written a line of code in my life before I was blind. I, it's fun. I was actually, I've always enjoyed video games. And when I got out of the Marines, I became curious at some point and decided to Google like how you make an app or a game and saw some screenshots of code and was like that looks like it sucks i'm gonna stick with nursing and <laughs> it came back to it just after losing my sight so it's yes it, it's tough and especially because when you're you know because you've been a, a coder in the past but it's reading an article and then applying that knowledge are two very different things and because you have to interpret what your compiler or your development environment is telling you is wrong and it doesn't always point to what's actually wrong. And then, so hmm. for people who don't know, when you write code, it's all text-based and you use an app, like what I use is called Xcode and I write all of my code in there and it's all text, it's human readable and it compiles all of that in the background into binary. And if all of your code follows the programming language rules, or the syntax rules, they're called them, it will build successfully. If not, it will scream at you and tell you that there's issues. And then usually it at least gets you into the right area as to what's wrong. But the big pain comes when you have a project that meets all of those syntax rules and is running on a device. And then things are not functioning as expected. And that honestly, that was the biggest sticking point for me with all of this. I think I 
obviously there is a steep learning curve learning how to code from scratch but the the articles that i primarily used so i used there's a website called hacking with swift in this gentleman named paul hudson runs the site and everything about his website is accessible and it's not happenstance accessibility it's it's a smooth user experience from a blind perspective and he also covers uh you know in implementing accessibility support in your apps so it's it's really great he has a some free courses that kind of take you through all of the basic knowledge that you need to learn how to code but the <laughs> that i can't imagine i really can't because that's that's where it sticks to me is i is the the debugging part so for those i don't want to go too much into it but um once you compile it and run it something's going to happen it's going to go bam and you're going to have to figure out where the error errors and that's where my fear is because visually it used to pop up right there it just highlights it Boop. it's just like this big old pointer just pointing right at where the problem is and that made it pretty simple for those that are um season and so you know um man silly mistake of mine or something i just forgot about that but the whole thing though so how long did it take you to say i got a reasonable idea how this works how long did that process take the coding so not so much of how long it took to do xanagrams but to get to up to the point of thinking about wanting to do xanagrams, how long, how was that coding process like? So that was kind of a convoluted process. Um, initially, there's there's a programming language that's developed by the University of Las Vegas, Nevada, that they're trying to create, it's called Quorum, and they're trying to create an accessible programming language that's evidence-based alongside an accessible Doom engine, and currently it's just not, I mean, they're they're working on it, and I really respect what they're doing over there, it just, it didn't fit my needs, and also at the time, because it, it was an accessible cross-platform tool, I thought it would be a good thing for me to use, and yeah, be able to create games. But I, when I went to finally test a project after I had all the basics down, which took me about six months, I went to test one of my, like a Quorum-based project on an iPhone, and then I realized that none of their interfaces mm. were doing so, that the Quorum team had for doing so were accessible. So I dropped the language and started teaching myself Swift and... I started teaching myself Swift in July of 2022, and when I looked back through my like through Xanagrams, the timestamp from when I created the project was August of that same year. So hmm. I was actively learning as I went through, but and I, I learned a lot more advanced concepts while working on Xanagrams. But I had the basic understandings of like you know reference types versus value types and stuff like that. So why Xanagrams? What made you feel like I want to make something like this? So actually that the gentleman that I mentioned who runs the hacking with Swift site, Paul Hudson has, so the, these courses and it just in general, a lot of coding courses for people who don't know, like a lot of these beginner courses are 
100 days of whatever language you want to learn. And he has them for the the language as well as like the front end frameworks, which are what allow you to put buttons and stuff on the screen. And in the in the 100 days of Swift UI course, and Swift UI is the front end framework that I do to make all of the buttons accessible and stuff like that. But he has a project in there because it's all project-based learning. And one of them is a word scrambler game, but it's just, it's a basic, it throws, it just gives you scrambled letters. And then there's a text input field to try and spell words from them. That's not a great experience with voiceover, you know, having to type letters in. And also I didn't think I would, I mean, it's, it's a great practice idea, but I didn't think it was very challenging. And so I wanted to make a word game that was in that was challenging and kind of mixed with trivia as opposed to just having scrambled letters. And the, so I, I got the basic idea for Xanagrams and then the big kind of breakthrough, at least when designing it was how could I make this a better user experience for people using screen readers, but not take away from the experience for sighted users. And I thought presenting all of the button or presenting all of the, the answers as groups of buttons or groups of letters in buttons would be a much better way. And it seems, you know, as I built out my prototypes, I thought it was really smooth to play. And it seems like other people have agreed given that the, the Apple is community voted for Xanagrams alongside the Titan that is Timecrest. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's amazing. So that was my next question, if it was made from scratch. So you had some sort of a framework there, and you just built the innards and made some modification to what you wanted in Xanagrams. Uh, so I wrote every line of code for the app. It's just okay. like if... When like for, if you want to make a, an app in Swift to make, a, to render interface elements, there's, there's, it's a, they're essentially just libraries, right? So like when you would have import statements in your code, so you can, it extends the functionality of whatever file you're writing into import Swift UI or UI kit. Those are the two options that you can use to to leverage those additional language features out of Swift. But yes, I, I wrote every single line. I've written every puzzle and I'm still writing more puzzles. It's all been from scratch. That's great. I'd love to hear that. So it's doing from scratch. Now you, you mentioned that it was probably the end of summer of last year. How long did it take you to build to like your first release of Xanagrams? And when was Xanagrams released? It went live on the App Store on the 4th of July of 2023. And I think I released the first beta in the beginning, maybe the end of May, beginning of June. And a lot of that, I knew everything from an accessibility standpoint was functional, given that I'm completely blind and I have to do use everything with voiceover. But I needed feedback from low vision users and from people with no visual impairments to play. So... I had the the beta for a couple of weeks and then started going through the approval process with Apple and there was some back and forth with that. I think that took about a week and a half or two weeks for me to get Xanagrams actually approved and published on the App Store. But Yeah, so it sounds like it took some time just to get the beta 
And I love the story about you wanted to make it for low vision and for those who were sighted. This is just not just for blind people. I want to make it equal footing for everybody. And that, I was going to ask you the next question. There's a couple of questions, but the first question is, in terms of you having some frustration in terms of just getting it to work for for you, for voiceover, I can't imagine what was the accessibility portion of making that app accessible to voiceover. Is that something difficult? It it does take extra work. I did not, I wouldn't say it's difficult. Again, it's another learning curve to have, but once you have that knowledge, you can apply that across your, your projects, right? So it's just, it's a time investment up front. And then obviously testing wise, because I am a voiceover user on my iPhone that saved me a lot of time. I didn't have to learn how to use voiceover on a phone so that I could test my app, but um, to make it as polished as I did for Xanagrams, yeah, that takes some some diving. You know, it's small things like people may not realize this, but when when you're going through the Xanagrams and it it's reading like one of the the clues and the number of letters that are in the in the in the answer to the clue, like those present as behind the scenes, those are separate things. And so I had to write code that makes it so that it get read at the same time with a small break in between. Or like when you read each of the letter group buttons, it reads the letters individually instead of just trying to pronounce them collectively and stuff like that is where it gets time consuming. Mm-hmm. But the big thing for me is because I, I can't see anything trying to make it low vision accessible and be visually appealing to those who could see was actually the biggest challenge. So I would, again, I'd never written a line of code and I could see. So I've read all of this information since being blind and I know what the code does, but when it comes to the visual impacts of a line of code, it's all me interpreting the data that I've read and guessing what it looks like in my head. So I would, make a screen or several screens. And once I had a system running, then I would send screenshots to friends and family. Like, Hey, can you tell me what looks not good about this? Mm. Or I usually, I see my family about once a week. They only live like 45 minutes away from me. And so like we'd go grab lunch and then I'd have them come back here and pull up stuff. I'd pull up Xanagrams on my phone and be like, okay, what can I fix here? I know at least everything's functioning the correct way, but trying to dial in the visual elements and and stuff like that is painstaking when you can't see the screen. I couldn't imagine. I mean, you having to think about positions. This button needs to be here, 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 and make it visually appealing, but yet not so um, junked up that maybe for you and I, it doesn't make any difference because we don't see it visually, but to, to appeal for those who are low vision and with vision, we got to have it to make it look good. And the buttons needs to be arranged right and things. Needs. That has gotten taken a long time. So you probably have to physically tell it what position to put it. And if this is this phone, it has to expand and everything changes, the width and everything. I can't imagine what that went into. That's probably was a, probably the hardest part for you 
to program is side portion. Absolutely. And so I, in terms of positioning elements on the screen, I just used relative calculations for everything. So you can get the size of the device's screen and then say, okay, I want this button to take up a third of the screen. So if you set the width of the button, you take the width of the screen and divide it by three and stuff mm. like that. But so I did that throughout the app for, for everything, but it was also another thing. Once I got it to the point where sighted people were like, yes, this looks good. This is something I would download and play. Then when I went back and tried increasing the low vision experience, then it was another thing back in the other direction where I'm like, okay, the opacity here isn't great or I don't, changing specific areas in the app to switch to solid backgrounds instead of a gradient that I have throughout the rest of the app to make it prettier for those who can see. And it was just a lot of fine tuning at that point. Hmm. I can't imagine, but that is so amazing. And it really does open your eyes for developers that do develop things for the apps. They just, you know, it's hard to explain to people that are in the blind community when we program and we have sight, we don't really think about accessibility to it. And especially where things are and grouping things together or hints. It's just, that's just something that isn't taught. And as you put, it is a little bit extra effort to put into it. And some people just feel like, you know, I just want to program it. I just want to release this. I, I am just not in the mood to make this friendly to the blind. So there's a little bit of mix out there. There are some people, obviously, that do care about that. They want to make it perfection. They want it to make it accessible to everybody. And so I am so glad that you came on to talk about those things. So... Let's talk about these packs. So these packs are packs of things you can purchase and download and play those packs. I think that's so cool is that you're able to create a infrastructure um, of a forefront of the basic and then you can just add these packs to it. Are these packs something that you create on your own and how often do you create these packs? Yes, I've written every single puzzle, every anagram, and even the way that they're broken up by hand. And so I'll take a step back just so people who haven't played it yet kind of understand the gist of the game. Every every puzzle that you play in anagrams has six clues that are, are basically context clues to find an answer. And at the end of that clue, it tells you how many letters apply to that answer. So in the... There's six of those clues, so six of those anagram clues in every puzzle. And then along the bottom portion of your screen, the answers for all six of those clues have been broken up into groups of two or three letters. And to finish a puzzle, you use every button once. So as you tap buttons, you add those letters to your current spelling, and then the game automatically detects when you've spelled one of those words right and it lets you know, and then it hides those buttons that you used, they disappear so that you can use the process of elimination to solve these puzzles. And they've, I've intentionally made them challenging. So just be prepared, <laughs> it's a lumber top. But so then with the puzzle packs, there's 10 puzzles in each pack. So 60 anagrams in every pack and the packs themselves are either themed or unfeed. So, Right, I've got everything from 
ancient history to space to hobbies um, through a bunch of the, uh, there's six different unthemed packs right now. And so the unthemed packs are quite a bit harder than the themed packs because there's no context for what you're trying to solve because nothing's related. But if you go into a space puzzle, you know the answer to all six clues in each puzzle will be related to space. And so that, that helps a little bit. But if you get stuck, you can also use hints and it will reveal the next letter group that applies to whatever word you want to use the hint for. And currently I've written over a thousand of these anagrams um, and will continue to write more as long as people want them. And I'm hoping that people do continue to want them because I enjoy making this stuff and it's really cool. So another reason that I wanted to make it accessible for everyone is there's a competitive aspect to it. So how I said that I've written every single group of letters as well. The first time that everyone plays a puzzle, they get the exact same letter groups as everyone else. And that's the competitive version of the puzzle. So it's the game scores you based on it's kind of like golf if you get a zero that's a perfect score and it it's based on you know if there's 20 letter group buttons and you only have to push 20 of the buttons so you spell every word correctly then you got a perfect score but every one that you used uh, that every time that you have to like repeat the press of a button then it it adds one to your score and every time they use a hint it adds five points but so every time since everyone is playing the exact same puzzle every time the game keeps your scores, it stores them on your device, and when I reach 100 five-star reviews on the App Store, I'm actually going to add more beater points to the game. So you can play family members and friends and actually see how you compare up against them. Currently, when you finish a puzzle, you can share your scores on different social media outlets or through text, and it'll link back to the game. And but the cool thing is after you've played the official version of a puzzle, you know, if you want to play through some other puzzles and in a month you're like, you know what, I want to go play the space puzzles again. Every time you replay it after that, it's randomized. So mm. it'll be the same clues, but it, the letter groups are different every time that you play and they're totally random. Again, you still only get the letter groups that apply to the answers. So you have to use every button once, but if you don't remember the the answers, then it is a different experience every time. That's beautiful. You know, I think this is a perfect way for the listeners to give back to the developer like Zach is that these packs is something that gives back to their time and the effort and work into it. So what kind of feedback have you received on Xanagraphs? Um, well, I guess, can I say one more thing about the puzzles? Sure. Fine. Okay. So yeah, if you, if you download Xanagrams, it actually, it comes with two of those packs for free. So you get 120 anagrams for free. One of the packs is unthemed and the other one is themed. So you get to see which one you like most. So it's totally free to download and you get quite a, again, they're challenging puzzles. So you get a good amount of playing time out of it to see if you like it and want to play more. But for response wise, obviously I'm now I just when I'm I'm really starting to get more feedback, which has been good. It's you know, it's been out for six months and marketing is an entirely new skill on top of trying to be a programmer and it's been a lot harder than I thought it would be. So mm -hmm. the ratings and reviews in the app store are actually huge, especially as a lone developer like myself. But 
So if you do enjoy it, please leave a rating and a review. But the obviously I just at the beginning ish of December, middle of December, I won Game of the Year on Apple Biz. And then I actually just found out from a gentleman who named Aaron Spelker, who runs a pretty large Facebook group uh, com committed to mobile accessible gaming, and it's called Mobile Accessible Games. He does uh, an annual Game of the Year award as well, and I think the group's up to 2,000-something members at this point, but Xanagrams just swept the competition on that as well. So our community is finding out about it and enjoying it, and I the big thing that I need help with is getting more ratings and reviews so that I can spread it to people who can see as well. And that will, again, the more that I can do that, the more I can continue to create more apps and games for our community because I will never output something that's inaccessible. It will, everything will be as accessible as Anagrams was. But if I can get it to the larger audience like that, then hopefully I'll be able to bring more people in on it on my team and then be able to increase the, the rate of production on stuff and even make it make, especially on the visual side, make things more visually appealing so that I can continue to grow and set the example. Like I told you that I ultimately trying to do. So you mentioned about how you want to grow with your team and stuff. So you're seeking for other developers or just potential people that might have interest in learning how to use, use Swift and things like that to grow your dark horse itself. Not actively at this point, but in the long run, yes, that is what I would like to do. Okay. But I, and for people who are interested in, in starting to do this, this is, it is feasible. I'm completely blind and didn't go to school for this. So it is doable. And it's also in a largely unemployed community. You know, they say that 70% of people with disabilities are unemployed. This is an incredible, this is an accessible field. It's also allows you to work remotely if you're not doing your own business like I am like if you got a real a job at a big company you could make good money doing it and also if you dive into accessibility like I have you can be a subject matter expert in your in your given in your company and that's the best way to get more accessible content into the world is to have people who need these practices implemented and, and rely on this technology to be out there making that difference hmm. So I've written articles on how you can follow the path that I've gone on on my website, and I'll share those with Thomas so that you guys can all go read those as well. That's awesome. I think that you will definitely appeal people out there, and it's something you can do. Zach has just proved that point. And it's not just Zach, too. So Zach is among of a handful of people I know that do programming um, for the mobile platform. Some of you probably are familiar with John from Woodside. We got Oral Gomez. Um, we got Blake Oliver from Soundscape. All of those folks are blind and creating things for the iOS. So it is something that this is, I know some of you out there are probably just wondering. And so that's why I mentioned what are the things that 
contains what what do you need to get this started and that is a mac of course but most everything on there is free from that point and on besides the developer account is that pretty much true yep so xcode is if you get a mac and obviously you could learn a different programming language that you could use a windows based machine but to to create specifically for apple devices you need a mac you need to download the free app that is made by Apple called Xcode. That's where you actually write all of your code in. And the website that I used to learn at least all the basic knowledge that I've I've learned is Hacking with Swift, and those tutorials are free as well. So if you, in, without a developer account, you can still practice programming and make apps to run at home on your own device. You just can't put them on the app store or even submit to the app store until you have a developer account. And that is, I believe $99 a year. Gotcha. How amazing. So what are your thoughts about where are you, do you think you're going to tinker next as in, are you going to kind of make a Xanagrams plus or deluxe, or you have other project in mind? What, what's going on in that mind of yours, Zach? <laughs> I have several, I have three other projects right now that I'm working on, um, different focuses and none of them will be a word game. I might, I might do another word game down the road, but that is not in my plans at all right now. I am still creating content for Xanagrams again, since I've created that platform as people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, you know, I've, I've played all the puzzle packs. Like I'd like to see one about whatever they can reach sports and then I can write those. And they are, they take me a little bit to write, but I could have them within a week and have them done. But the uh, I'm working on a fantasy role playing game, as well as a more research, or not research, sorry, resource management style game right now. And then out my other project that I've kind of used to take a temporary hiatus from those two projects right now is more like business oriented. It's actually like. I, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a lot of these gyms and stuff have different sign-in software to keep track of how many classes you're attending and stuff like that because that help, that's part of what they track for promotions and stuff like that. And I've never seen an accessible one, so I'm trying to create an accessible platform for that for businesses to use. But the games are my primary focus. That's really interesting. You have some great thoughts going on there just going outside of xenograms which sounds marvelous zach it has been a pleasure i really like and love your openness that is was takes a lot of courage and i always if those that are seeking or having troubles with mental healthness and this is such a good reminder to it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out for other people, um, just like Zach has. And, and this is a great example of how things can be different, how you can turn around in life. So thank you so much for being your openness and um, being so frank with us today. That, that, that means a lot to us. I, it really does. Thank you, sir. Have uh, Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Oh, no problem at all, Zach. It was a, a, oh gosh, it's a privilege and honor to have you on to hear your stories. I love hearing all the different stories. Now, I always do this before I sign out. Now, I notice, I love looking at the company's name. So yours is called Dark Horse. Now, what was the idea behind that? There's a couple of different facets to it. So actually, my my unit, I was with 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, and the call sign was Dark Horse. Okay. They got that during the Korean War. The battalion had kind of been overwhelmed and was being encircled by enemy forces. And someone had, basically, they were not counted on making it out. And they did. And so they were called the Dark Horse the talent you know they were dark horse afterwards because they they kind of came back against all odds and made it out and so that was kind of an ode to that as well as i think it's pretty fitting to my own story i was in a mentally dark place and then ended up in a literal dark place being blind and have come out on the other side and it's constant work and especially the talking about things when you're struggling you know something that i've kind of grown to learn is that it, it it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to not do anything about it and so i kind of i don't know it felt felt right and so that's what i i've secured and now my company runs under the manner of is dark horse what a perfect name for a perfect example so there's a lot of meaning behind that so that's amazing well, thank you so much again, Zach, and I hope you have a wonderful 2024. Enjoy yourself, and can't wait to see your next endeavor and project to come out for us, and so stay in touch with us, okay? Yeah, I will definitely keep you in the loop. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, that is going to do for AppleViz Extra with Zach Tidwell behind Dark Horse of the Xanagrams game, which is the 2023 Best Game Award for the Golden Apples from AppleViz and the community that voted for it. My name is Thomas Donville, also known as Nanamous. Until next time, bye-bye, guys. This AppleViz podcast has been brought to you by the community of AppleViz.com for the latest in resources and tips and tricks to get you the best experience from your Apple device. Visit www.appleviz.com.